welcome to Minute 39 of The Great Escape Minute, the daily podcast where we dig into The Great Escape one minute at a time. I'm Tom. And I'm Rob. And joining us again today is Jim O'Kane from Rocketeer, Apollo 13 Minute Podcast, as well as a handful of others. How you doing today, Jim? Doing good, doing good. Enjoying enjoying this movie, every minute of this movie, like you are. <laughs> so it. <laughs> But I'm out on Friday, so we'll we'll, uh, we'll let let you keep going. Um, but then you get to listen to it all. Yeah, so that's, that's true. Too. That's that's the exciting part. Um, I uh, uh, so we're oh I'm, I'm let you do let you talk about the minute. I, it's weird being a guest because you're like I want to now I got to do this now I got to no now I just I get to sit back and let you guys do the do the heavy lifting. Yes. So minute thirty nine starts with Headley asking what time. And it ends with the Germans closing up the camp. So I tried to figure out, you know, the specs on this camera and how it works compared to modern cameras. And so I would say Colin says he wants a 35 millimeter F 2.8 with a focal plane shutter. I started trying to research this and realized that I do not have a base level of camera knowledge, you know, sufficient enough to really research this before I, you know, and I wasn't prepared to go down hours and hours of rabbit holes trying to figure out camera knowledge. So if either of you have any knowledge on cameras and yeah, can share some insight, it'd be much appreciated. Well, I, don't, I, don't, I don't specifically have knowledge on cameras, but the research that I was able to do was is that, that there were cameras of that type uh, available at the time. There was something called the Leica model, of yes. the, the Leica camera. So they had models one, two, and three, and all of them had focal plane shutters. Now, I don't know what that means. Yes. <laughs> well, let me, let me, let me help you guys. Cause I'm a, my, my bachelor's degree was in film production oh. and uh, <laughs> had to, had to do two courses on the history of uh, motion pictures, which also involved the history of photography. Uh, Leica cameras uh, are uh, German cameras that uh, really revolutionized modern photography a lot of the things that we we come to expect in of a camera uh were developed uh, by the by the development of a like a camera they were mostly built in the 20s and 30s well actually they, they start around the, the 1910s but the 20s and 30s they got better and better at it uh cameras in order to make them uh usable uh was you needed to have a high definition film that you could blow up to make you know, the, the, the idea of where you enlarge pictures and you can make, you know, big 16 by 20 pictures. And in order to do that, you needed two things. You needed a really good film and you also needed really good lenses. The lenses, uh, uh, the lenses had to be carefully ground and, uh, nobody had better optics than the Germans. The Germans had, uh, companies like Zeiss, uh, and companies like Leica where they built, uh, a very complicated multi lens uh, camera, uh, camera bodies that could, uh, or, or, or lenses that were a series of glass plates, uh, different convex and concave, um, uh, glass lenses that they put into a, a lens system. And, uh, you had to be able to refine the focus, uh, to a very, a very small, uh, you had to, what they had, to, what the, uh, the, ter- the technical term was circles of confusion. You had to make very small circles of confusion so that you had high, a high resolution, uh, image that would appear on a high resolution film so you could blow it up big. Uh, Zeiss and, uh, Leica, um, worked on 
uh, the lens portion, another company, a chemical company called Agfa, which also owned an American, they bought an American company called Ansco. Uh, Agfa built a high resolution film that could compete with Kodak. So with Agfa film or Ansco film, um, combined with Leica and Zeiss lenses, you could make a very small camera that could make really great high definition pictures, uh, from a very small, a 35 millimeter, uh, target area on a film. Uh, Leica was very popular. Uh, the, the camera that he's asking for is, is a, as a German Leica camera here. The, uh, at the time, uh, Leica was, uh, Leica was having problems because most of the, uh, people that worked for Leica, uh, the, we're, we're, we're out on the battlefields. <laughs> well, either that or they were Jewish and they had, they had emigrated, uh, to get away from, to get away from Germany. And, uh, there were, if they were, if of, they were lucky. If they were lucky, yeah. I mean, there, uh, but the thing was the, I, I, now I've forgotten the fellow's name. The fellow that ran Leica had hired, um, many Jewish engineers pre-war. And as, you know, as the Nazis moved in, he was building, uh, what they called freedom flights. He was flying, uh, his employees, Jewish employees out of Germany, uh, to England, to America, to Canada, and putting them in American ANSCO, um, uh, factories so they could work in the Americas so that when the war finally broke out, all these people that had worked with them were safe. Um, wow. and, as a result, you know, I mean, this this gigantic brain drain. Um, the uh, the Nazis didn't have uh, many engineers who could handle optics because they had chased everybody or put people in camps. So they didn't have like the 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 wartime Leicas in, that were built in Germany were nothing like the pre-war Leica lenses and films. Uh, and as a result, a lot of them went. A lot of the, the Leica folks had gone to work for British intelligence to build. Uh, photo reconnaissance stuff that Colin was probably using when when he was working on his photo reconnaissance thing. He had uh, these great uh, exiled German engineers uh, working with him for better better focal uh, lenses. And they were and they were starting to work on things like infrared, so they could build infrared cameras which have a different uh, focal plane. Uh, but since the the wavelengths are longer, you have to change the focus for for using infrared. But they could they could pick they could do heat images to see where things were like engine plumes and stuff at night. They could take pictures at, at night photography. So a lot of the a lot of the technical stuff that Colin knew about, um, or may you know, may have known a piece of. I don't know where where he fit in the organization, but he was working with a lot of advanced technologies. Um, and to him saying, I need a thirty five millimeter Leica was probably you know that's that's standard operating procedure for my uh, for my job, but for Hanley trying to find a pre-war Leica, a lot of them had been um, basically requisitioned by the Nazis because they didn't have the equipment that they needed to do uh, photo reconnaissance and just simple recording uh, measures because the the people that worked for uh, Zeiss and uh, and Leica were either exiled or dead. Um, and it just, it, I mean, it's just an interesting little, little sub, uh, subset of what was going on in this war. But, uh, you know, he asking, asking for a Leica camera, uh, was not going to be an easy call. I mean, I'm assuming, you know, he's going to be, well, well, apparently they get it pretty easily later on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Apparently Fritz had one at home. So it's, <laughs> um, but it's, you know, it's just a, 
it's uh, there's a whole book in that in itself. I mean, you can, you can talk wow. all about the, the technology there. Um, I I love learning about the technology of World War II and what what played for and against the the Germans and and for the Allies. I mean, there's so much stuff that fell into the Allies' hands simply because Hitler was chasing all, you know all these smart people out of the country. Um, and, and not just, I mean, we usually think of atomic scientists and things like that, but it was stuff like optics and chemical, chemistry and, um, uh, bio warfare and electronics. Um, I'm currently reading a book called, uh, uh, 12 seconds of silence. It's about, uh, building proximity fuses that would fight the V1. Um, when uh, this is going a little bit off the rails, but it's an interesting thing about uh, World War II. Uh, technology, the V1, the buzz bomb, the, the doodle bug that was, uh, that was sent to, uh, to destroy British, you know, basically destroy London, uh, and, uh, anti-air and, uh, you know, other things like, uh, anti-aircraft being able to shoot planes out of the sky. The way, uh, before the war, the only way to shoot down planes out of the sky was you set a fuse, a timer fuse in a in an artillery shell. So you say, 15 seconds after I launch this, uh, the 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 shell will explode. So you try to figure out. I have to aim in the sky, and then after I shoot, I have to hope that 15 seconds from now it's at the same altitude and roughly in the same location as an aircraft. And if you missed it, then you had to redo it all over again and set. No, I mean maybe I now mean 12 seconds. But meanwhile, the plane's moving, so you can't. <laughs> You can't shoot it. So the obvious thing there is, well, maybe if you made something that was inside the artillery shell, that uh, if it detected anything metal nearby, it would explode. And until it detected something metal nearby, it wouldn't explode. So that sounds great. It's like, okay, yeah, we can build that. But here's the problem. If you're using a cannon, uh, <laughs> any kind of, you know, a howitzer or something like that. That in metal. itself is metal. Well, yeah. Well, you, you can, I mean, you can set it so that there's a magnetic range. So if you see there's a change in the magnetism around it and it, and it only turns on like three seconds after it leaves. But the problem is if you're building something electronic back then, you're talking about vacuum tubes and the artillery shell is leaving the barrel at 20,000 G's. So trying to build something that's sturdy enough that can survive being launched out of an artillery shell at 20,000 G's and still be able to work that it can, it can spot, uh, nearby, you know, nearby metal objects to blow out of the sky. That's a whole story in itself. And that took years. They didn't resolve that until like around 1943, 44. Wow. And I mean, the good thing about it is the Germans didn't have anything, uh, consecutive you know something like that so all they had was altitude bombs so when b-17s were flying over and you saw those flak you know the 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 flak explosions the only way that they they would hit anything was just sheer luck that you know something at that altitude (laughs) blew up they could you know they could they could shoot them down but anti-aircraft guns barely worked i mean it's less than it's less than one percent i think was was the number of you know shots to uh to things knocked out of the sky wow Uh, well, right. No, so I, I looked up what you said, and uh, it was Ernst Leitz II. That's him. Yeah. Who was who was the the head of the company uh, from 1920? And after Hitler came into power in 33, he started slowly assigning hundreds, if not thousands, of employees over to overseas offices in order to try and save save all of these Jews. It's like Schindler's List, basically. Yeah. yeah. And they said kind of they said that, he, and he was able to keep it secret. And it, uh, people only knew about it after he died, years years after the war. And yeah. it was called 
the Leica Freedom Train. That's very interesting. As as a Jew, it's it's fascinating to hear little stories like that. You know, to hear about the things that people did back then. So thank you for enlightening me on that. Right. Yeah. No, thank it, it, you. Sorry. Yes. Thank you for the camera enlightenment in general as well. And I mean, you can almost see Henley's reaction. Like he knows this is going to be a pain to find. And no, but he maybe so. But he but but he he's like all right. He he's he's up to the challenge. Well, right. He's up to the challenge. He knows he can do it, but just his face. You can just see him going. This one's going to be a problem. You know, you can just see that this is going to be something I need to think long and hard about how am I going to do it compared to when Bronson immediately comes in and goes, I need a big heavy pick. And he goes, what, only one? You know, it's just the dynamic of, all right, I've got this, you know, expensive, important camera I need to get that's going to be more, going to be one of the more challenging things probably. And then, oh, I just need a big blunt object I can put holes in things with. You know, just that dynamic is something I didn't pick up on until this watching. Right. Okay. There, there is something to that. It's also the idea of, uh, you know, simple things that someone asks for you can you can deal with easier than something that is a little out of the ordinary. Now, we only find out tomorrow in that minute what Colin actually does. So you think that. Uh, at this point, Henley should be saying, okay, you want a camera, but what do you need a camera for? You know, he doesn't, because <laughs> Colin, as we mentioned a few days ago, it doesn't, they never say, they never state what Colin does. Colin does, takes his usual job, whatever that usual mm-hmm. job is. Apparently the usual job involves a camera. So. Yeah. He's the unit well, publicist. Knows? Yeah. <laughs> uh, maybe. He maybe. does the newspaper. But, but. Yeah, but the, the 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 line that I love is after he after Henley says all right to the to to camera, Colin then says and don't forget film of course and he goes of course now think about it, you know a roll of film back back in the day back in back in the eighties and nineties when I used to use film you know you had you had most most film canisters had you know twenty four pictures on them. Or whatever. I don't know what it was back in the forties. I couldn't tell you, you know, how many you got on, on, uh, you know, on each, uh, film packet, but he doesn't even mention how many he needs. He, they're, they're, they're dealing with 200 uh, documentations for 250 prisoners. So he's going to need a crap load of, of film. And <laughs> that's not even mentioned here. I mean, later on when, when, uh, you know, when he gets the, the stuff from, from, uh, from Werner, you know, he doesn't say to him, "Okay, I need a camera, and I also need uh, give me five hundred, <laughs> you know, hundred rolls of film so that I can take two hundred, uh, so I can take five hundred roll uh, pictures." So that I mean, that's something. Obviously, they're not going to explain this type of thing in uh, you know, in in the movie. But it sounds as if it's a little. They're going a little overboard with the number of pictures that they're going to be need, needing here, just from one particular camera. 
Yeah, and he hasn't asked anything about like developer or fixer or you know anything. That he, he's going to need something like I'm assuming that he can get sodium or sodium citrate for the the stop bath. He could probably you know use vinegar or something. But he hasn't. I, if he's going to be making like fake passports and stuff, wouldn't you also ask for? Well, I'm going to need three trays and I'm going to need a developer and I'm, you know. <laughs> but he just kind of skips over that, and I, I would think developer stuff would be a little bit difficult to get during wartime. Maybe 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 that's stuff that he has in his in his uh, suitcase. <laughs> okay, yeah, <laughs> there we go. Uh, and now now you mentioned before Tom that uh, Danny shows up and asks for a big pick. Now, how does Danny know where Henley's room is? You know, they all just got there. It's not like it's not like everyone knows who, where what room everyone's in. You know, it's not like they have room assignments and you can look on a chart and say, oh, Henley's in barracks uh, one hundred four, uh, room room thirty three. You know, well, but when we get to the end of the minute, Danny's in the, you know, bigger bunk bigger bunk room. So if Danny's also in the same hut, he probably just saw Henley come in. Right. Okay, that could be. But again, we don't know that yet. You know. Yeah. And then we go back to tea. And <laughs> we go back to tea and we start, we get the first indications of Colin's eyesight. Uh, not necessarily being what it should be. We see him pouring the tea, but as he's finishing pouring, we see his head, you know, I don't know why I keep wanting to imitate things on an audio podcast, but, <laughs> you know, we see him try to duck his head in to get a better view of, you know, is my cup full yet? So we just get those little seeds planted of maybe his eyesight isn't that good. Is he checking if his cup is full or is he checking to see how, how his tea leaves are? Six of one, half dozen of the other? I, okay. I can't no, really – I don't know the he process of making tea well enough to know. Uh, well, making tea is not uh, – making gourmet tea maybe, but making normal tea is you have a tea bag and, and uh, hot water. <laughs> yeah. Wash, wash some leaves at the bed. <laughs> exactly. And then his comment about uh, having tea without milk is so in- uncivilized, you know. <laughs> and then Henley basically says, all right, I'm going to go get the wood for the fireplace. <laughs> I've had enough talking about tea. <laughs> I need a break yeah. from you. And, like, and let's we, change the subject. And we do get, uh, as he, as he you know, goes into the next scene where he's going to get the wood, um, it, I, I had to watch this three times before I noticed where the milk is. Uh, as uh, we, we get that little clue as... As Henley's going to eat the milk, he glances over at the two guys sitting at their teapot with the milk. Yeah, that's right. And I, you know, it's, I, I could never, well, we'll talk about that more tomorrow, but, you know, I could never figure out, like, where did the milk come from? But fortunately, looking at this like it's the Zapruder film, you get to go frame by frame and go, oh, there's the milk. It's it's right there on the table. As, as long as the milk isn't exploding when you watch it in slow motion, yeah. it's fine. Oh, please. Yeah, but it's a... Uh, <laughs> It's so, yeah, it's like, ah, it's, it's there under all those lights, or that seems to be the one light um, that has so many different shadows. Um, right, well, and you, you see you see Willie and someone else sitting at the table. You know, Willie Willie's just staring into space, and the other guy seems to be, like, writing a letter or something like that. And there's, uh, I was surprised, and... Really, throughout this whole film, whatever we're in a common room, we do not see a single deck of cards. Like, I would just inherently think that 
Well, first off, why is the wood in a bunkhouse and not in, like, the hallway or a common room? But you would think these guys would be sitting around the table playing cards at some point in this movie. Did the Brits do that as much as Americans? I, I, I don't know. I would I'm, assume... I'm not, Maybe they'd be playing cribbage or something, or whist or anything. Right, uh, maybe. bridge, okay, whist, cribbage, some sort of solitaire. I mean, just some sort of card game seems like it would be normal in something like this. But maybe, maybe Sturgis was afraid that uh, the actors would start gambling all the time if he brought uh, <laughs> decks of cards on 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 the set. So he stayed away from it. You know, in the middle of Bavaria, so they don't have to worry about you know going to try and find the deck of cards. <laughs> Uh, or they, or they may have lost them when they uh, when they all send in their uniforms to get dry cleaned every night. Um, <laughs> or left them in a pocket somewhere. Um, the, the other the thing that bothers me with this is yes, they're in a there is a POW camp, but they all have perfectly uh, quaffed uh, hair, and it's all they're all like the Everly bro, you know, early sixties. None of them, none of them said, "Well, I'm not going to cut my hair for this movie." <laughs> and they've all got these massive. Um, they look like they're they're going to show up on uh, 77 Sunset Strip or or uh, you know some some other 50s TV show. They've all these massive like DA cuts. They all look like the Fonz, and it's like that is not a 1943 uh, British cut. But but I guess that wasn't in the the actors' contracts that they no. need to get a, a <laughs> proper haircut. <laughs> My my assumption is is that the the the, the real characters that these were all based on were I, I think that I've I've heard that that's one of the complaints that uh, that's among the many complaints that that the the people connected to 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 the real prisoners you know they they, they weren't too happy with this movie obviously uh, but I think that was one of their complaints also that everyone looks like they're having too too good of a time yeah <laughs> uh, oh well it's. Uh... It's just a movie. I, you know, it's the wrong thing to say, but yeah, it's just a movie. Right. That's true. But it's the movie. No. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's one of the movies. Yes, it is one of the movies that has been created at some point in human history. <laughs> uh, well, do either of you have anything else for this minute? No, no. I'm good. Good minute. Very good minute. Yes. Well, Jim, you want to tell everyone where they can find you on the Internet? Sure. If you want to follow all my other stuff, I've got a I've got an easy site to go to so that you don't have to crawl around looking for things. If you go to jimokane.com, that's J-I-M-O-K-A-N-E.com, it's kind of my list of lists of all the different podcasts that I've uh, I've I've either I've created or produced or or been an accomplice for. So uh, just go there and you can uh, you can crawl through my life online. All right, and while you're checking out. All of Jim's other works, make sure you subscribe to our podcast and give us a five-star review on whichever podcatcher you use. If you want to get in touch with us, our email address is thegreatminute at gmail.com. You can join our Facebook group, The Cooler. You can follow us on Twitter at GreatEscapeMXM. Or you can go ahead and just check out our website, thegreatescapeminute.com. Until tomorrow, tally-ho. Tally-ho. Tally-ho.